Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day was said by William Morris. The past is not dead. It is living in us, and we'll be alive in the future we are now helping to create. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, teacher with the Indianapolis Art Center, author and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and artists to inspire you and help you move forward. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist and teacher Jessica Kaufman and the story of William Morris and the arts and crafts movement. I'd like to make an announcement. I'm currently doing a 30 paintings in 30 days challenge. Yes, 30 paintings in 30 days. Uh, Many of these paintings I'm creating are of animals. I'm kind of focusing on birds and cats. And I, I did a call out to my friends on Facebook and said, send me your animal pictures. So most of the paintings I'm doing for the 30 day challenge are of animals. It's going to be a a few landscapes and different things, but that's the theme. If you're interested in following along, you can go to my art blog, which is different than the website. It's at artistaddy.com. And you can view the paintings there. Many of them are smaller and will be for sale on Etsy. I've already sold two, so uh, it's very exciting. And it's it always pushes me to grow when I do one of these 30-day challenges. So we'll see how it all unfolds. And now, without further ado, here's my interview with Jessica Kaufman. Jessica Kaufman currently works as a teacher at the Outdoor Academy in North Carolina. She holds a Bachelor in Teaching Arts and a Master in Crafts Education. Her master's thesis was on the benefits of handwork for children, which I'm hoping she'll share a little bit about. In addition to her work teaching children, Jessica Kaufman also travels the globe uh, conducting knitting workshops for adults. She designs knitting patterns that can be found on Ravelry, and on Etsy you can find her new cross-stitch patterns that say poignant messages like, don't panic and try a little tenderness. (laughs) You can find out more about her artistry and teaching at happygocrafty.com. That's happygocrafty.com. H-A-P-P-Y-G-O-C-R-A-F-T-Y. Jessica and my paths have crossed many times throughout our lives, including contradancing and going to the same college and even youth group events in high school. It's only more recently that I've gotten to know her well, and I'm so glad I have. I find Jessica's zest for life infectious, so I am happy to have her as a guest on the show today. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, Addie. It's so great to talk to you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, let's dive into the first question. What's the story of how you became an artist? 
Well, it's interesting that you say that because this is, I don't really identify as an artist all the time. I identify as a craftsperson, as a maker, um, and as sort of like a hands-on historian of how things are made. But for some reason, you know, like growing up, I felt artistic, absolutely being raised by um, very crafty parents who are professional musicians. But I always thought of the artist temperament as sort of being like, like messy and disorganized and like passionate. And certainly I can be all those things, but I think of myself more as a, a, like I've sort of aged into my meticulous, um, Ah. you know, the meticulous side, which is not to offend anyone who does identify as an artist and is like, wait, I'm meticulous. I just don't think of myself as sort of that like wild and free person. I'm more of a, like, let's get, um, Let's get all the materials organized and then let's make a lot of these things sort of like I'm more interested in um, production and, and reproduction sort of craft, okay. if that makes any sense. Um, so the story of how I became that person is, um, well, I went to a performing arts high school. Uh, so that's important to say that I I had this choice before me on what I wanted to major in. And my two giant pulls were theater um, as a dramatic teen, as many of us are, and love to sing and dance and act and craft. But at my particular high school, you couldn't major in craft. You could only major in art. And that was too broad of a category for me. I didn't want to study art history. I didn't want to study, uh, you know, painting or drawing any of the two dimensional mediums. I wanted to be in sculpture and clay and metals and wood and fiber and paper. And I couldn't do that um, mm-hmm. as a major uh, or I guess I could have, but I, I chose not to. Hmm. And so that really ended up shaping my professional teaching life until um, I was about 25. So I will say that my mother um, was immensely crafty when I was young, and I'm proud to say she's getting back into it now. She just crocheted me a shawl for Christmas, which is a nice <laughs> turn of events. Um she, uh, she was always machine sewing garments for herself and for us. Uh, she was a musician on the road for 10 years before she had children and always sewed, um, the like slinky 70 stage costumes for her and my dad, as well as like the curtains in their van, you know, like total seventies dream life. Um, and so she taught me how to sew and how to crochet and a little bit of how to knit, but Mm. she was experiencing some frustration in her knitting life as a left-handed person. She hadn't gotten great instruction on that. So, um, she gave me a lesson and I was like, Oh no, this is hard. I'm going to crochet instead. But I always sewed and like altered my own garments. Um, and just had like this total, uh, like, like street business in high school in the nineties where I was making hemp necklaces during class and then selling them in the halls and downtown, um, you know, after between classes and after classes. And it totally made bank. Like I made enough money for all my little like high school hippie, you know, endeavors that I wanted just by making. And, uh, it affected my grades seriously because I, I got several comments from teachers. I'm like, we only ever see the top of your head, you know, because I was always like head down, hands busy. Um, and I was close to being uh, diagnosed as ADHD, but I really feel that um, having my hands busy helps me focus more. And I'll talk mm. more about that when I talk about my master's thesis, but um, it's a huge part of, of who I am, the um, fidget to focus and uh, keeping my hands always doing something so that my brain feels better and I can better function as like a stable, calm, listening adult. It really helps me channel, you know, any kind of like anxiety or nervous energy. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. So I'll just finish up the story by saying I got my bachelor's of science in teaching theater and dance. And I did that for two years and was kind of like, okay, I can't fool myself anymore. Like my passion is teaching crafts. I was teaching kids theater uh, at the high school level, but also like making sure I taught my stage hands how to knit so they'd have something to do backstage and like (laughs) hanging out with the ceramics teacher way more than I hung out with a music teacher, um, which may have just been like a disposition thing. Um, uh, This was not the high school environment for me. I've since found definitely the high school environment for me, but this was probably not it. And so I I took a break from teaching um, arts for a year. I moved to Vietnam and I taught English um, just to have an international experience. And when I came back, I knew that I needed to get my master's in crafts education. It just was clear. I was like, this is, I can't pretend anymore. <laughs> this is what I want to be doing. And um, yeah, and so that's sort of the, the story on how I got to where I am. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so many things in there that now, now I have more questions. <laughs> yeah, it's been a big life so far. Yeah, yeah. I, and I didn't even know about your trip to Vietnam. Um, mm. So, I, first of all, I'm curious about this, this uh, the word crafts mm. and the word artists. And it seems to be trigger for you, which it is for so <laughs> many people. It is. It's a big conversation. Um, and I've I've talk to many folks about how I feel that the word craft does not mean it's lesser than or it's you know right. there, there's a hierarchy that some people view there where arts are on the top the fine arts and then crafts right. are below and you know and then god forbid we say arts and crafts which is just like the lowest of the low <laughs> you know which conjures up images of like neon plastic ymca craft kind of things oh no yeah, yeah. i know yeah. and um you know and i feel that a lot of these these projects that could be construed as they could be put in the ca- craft category because mm-hmm. there is a structure there that says craftsmanship. It's it's um, right. building and there's there's a repetition there. Um, so right. things like quilts, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. you know, it's only been in the recent future that quilts are introduced into museums at as right. art, which I yeah. firmly believe that they should. <laughs> and and sometimes I think there's issues where there's women's work is craft. Mm, totally. And then right. there's fine art, which men might be more involved in. And so there's some mm. issues there. But do you have any other thoughts on that? Um, oh, I embrace so both, many. But... Yeah, this is this is the world of thought, which I live in. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, just the word craft. I try to take the S off of it as often as I can remember, because okay. craft when you say it, it's sort of like DIY, home mom, you know, like uh, all these things that are uh, sort of were thought of as lesser as not real art. Um, crafts, especially when we say arts and crafts, uh, kind of has a like cheapo, anybody can do it, get it from a big box store. Like, what are we doing? Um, there's no connection to materials or sustainability um, or history there, really. It's like whatever mm. plastic uh, stuff we can buy, you know, from China to do crafts. Um, but craft for me is just shorthand for craftsmanship. And I had this mm. conversation with my faculty yesterday. I'm so grateful, it would beyond grateful to be teaching at a school where craft is one of our cornerstone values. And what we mean when we say craft is like the craft of 
working the wood splitter, you know, and, and stacking our log pile so that we can use it. It's um, the way that we craft an English paper. Um, and there is a lot of making that happens at our school uh, because, you know, we've got an iron wood class where they're in the forge and they're doing traditional woodworking. And then they're in my class, which is mostly fibers, surface design, book arts. Um, and then we have uh, an incredible wilderness resident here uh, this year who's doing a lot of woodworking and um my housemate, the faculty, who's a ceramic artist, you know, just we have so many opportunities for our students to develop their craftsmanship um, through these handmade objects. And, you know, what you were saying about like the fine art being more about expression and then crafts or craft being more about um like we'll, we'll take quilts for an example, you know, women's work, folk art, maybe more traditional. Um, for me, functionality is really the line that like the, the clearest definition for me is if it's functional, if I can use uh, it, uh-huh. then it's craft. And if I can't use it for anything except looking at, then it's art, which is not to say that art can't be useful or functional. It's not to say that craft can't be nice to look at, but for me, like, if it's um if it's a sculptural basket that is designed for being on a shelf or in a museum because you can't really hold anything in it, but technically it's a basket, um, for me that's art. And if it's a basket that my yarn is in next to my chair, um, then it's craft. <laughs> Which okay. I'm sure there's a million things wrong with, but that's kind of how <laughs> I teach my fifteen year olds that I think about it and then invite them to think about it in any way they want. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And do you like William Morris and his thoughts on the arts and crafts movement and all that? Um, I'd be bullshitting you if I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally quote him and I'm really familiar with it. I need to <laughs> I need to re up on that. I, I don't know. OK, okay. What's, well, what's he say? Well, um, so this wh- I will share the story. I will share her story at the end of the podcast later okay. so I can articulate it better. But um. So, he so said, ideas. he said, have no, have nothing in your home that you do not yes. know to be useful or beautiful. Yes. Right on. That's, I was that's just thinking of that today. Yeah. I was going through my, I like doing a lot of home organization right now because the semester just ended and going through my closet, <laughs> you know, like the craft of cultivating only what's useful or beautiful in my closet. So I don't have a lot of junk around like that's, yes. I think William yes. Morris would approve of my he goodwill would. pile. He would. And it's, He's funny because he came at a time in British history when there's the Industrial Revolution happening. So there was a lot of now we have ceramic bowls that are all the same being mass produced. Mm -hmm. And he's and a lot of other artists were saying we want there to be some unique quality to each one. And we want for the natural world to be coming into our homes as well Mm. and to not have everything be so cold and industrial Uh, and um But, you know, he also mass produced things like he mass produced mm-hmm. wallpaper and, and beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful stuff. So um, there's a push pull there. But uh, but I I like his his thoughts. So, yeah. 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 That resonates really strongly with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So what's the story of how you became an art teacher for both the children and right. your adult workshops as well? Ooh. I love this story. Um, well, like I told you, I was I was teaching theater, but also finding myself sort of cheating on the sides and uh, just 
getting really, really, I was, this is the early days of Ravelry.com. And so I just couldn't stop sharing the amazingness of like, finally, there's a place for like yarn artists to gather online and to share resources. And I was getting all my students interested in it. And so when my, uh, my fiance at the time, I'll call him my husband, cause I think that's more friendly than ex-husband. Uh, my husband was going to, um, graduate awesome. school. He was in, he was in law school and I thought, okay, well, if you're going to be in grad school all day, every day, I'm going to be in grad school all day, every day too. And I'm finally going to do this, get my master's in crafts education. And the reason for that was because the idea of giving, getting an MFA, um, in one of those studio crafts, you know, the big five are wood, paper, glass, metals, and clay. Um, Mm -hmm. like I like all of those. I don't want to pick one and to get my MFA to work on my own work, you know, I'm growing into more of an introvert every year. So like right now that does sound a little appealing, but I know it would be appealing for maybe a week. And then I'd be like, okay, well, where's the people I can teach this to? I want to work with someone. Um, mm. those, those feelings really influence the, the choice to get my master's in craft education. Actually, my degree says crafts education, but whatever. It was 2009. Um, We've uh, yeah, now, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because I want to, I want to teach and I don't want to limit myself in what I can teach. So, you know, this year I got really into cross stitch. It hit me like, if you had asked me last year, like, Hey, what about cross stitch? I'd be like, meh, whatever, boring. But like, so, so obsessed with it this fall. Um, I can choose to teach that to my students. That is so cool. I can, you know, sell patterns online and go investigate. We have amazing resources down here in Western North Carolina. Um, so I could go to the folk art museum on the parkway and look at all the old needlepoint sampler books, um, and actually input them into like, you know, my collection of motifs. So cool. And I felt like if I got my MFA, in one of those studio crafts, I wouldn't have the opportunities to kind of be as a uh, schizophrenic with it and, and jack of all trades as I knew suited me. Like self-knowledge is a really good thing. And as you get older, I think you get a little more clarity on just what your strengths are. And for me, you know, having, I'm looking just, I'm in my bedroom right now and I'm working on the thumb of a mitten, uh, a stranded mitten. And I'm looking at, um, a gourd that I created a bowl out of a lidded vessel. Um, that's a gourd that I cut in half and cleaned out and polished up and then did some pine needle basketry around the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, my collection of embroidery floss and sampler books, and then like, you know, some felted hats that I made and all of my handmade jewelry is on my iron, hook rack that I made in the blacksmithing shop. You know, like I, I don't want that to stop. So my story of being an arts teacher is just wanting to pass on my multi multitudinous sort of interest areas to, uh, whoever I can. Uh-huh. And I've, I've always wanted to teach when I was a little kid. Uh, my favorite games were the ones in which I was the teacher and I would teach them whatever. Like if I, if I learned something five minutes ago, I'm going to be teaching it to you in five minutes. That's just how I like to process things. And so going from the natural, like, you know, I want to be a a theater and dance teacher. Now I want to be a crafts teacher. Who knows what I want to might teach, um, what I might want to teach in the future. Um, But right now I'm finding so much um, gratification from having these amazing teenagers in my life who are ready to learn these hard skills uh, and then, express them on whatever colors, shapes, patterns, textures that they find appealing and to create useful objects from these craft traditions and like go out into their life. Um, like if, can I share an anecdote? Oh, that yeah. just passed? Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. So 
total turnaround kid. I will, I will refer to him, um, by B, the initial B, um, B was kind of a wreck. He was a hot mess when he came to our school. Um, frantic energy, really didn't have like a calm center. He sort of was like getting into some trouble, uh, but super smart guy. Well, he's in my crafts class, right? And so as the semester goes by, I'm, I'm watching him sort of learn to, uh, harness his frustration and really work through it and like keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back to those skills and get good at it. And of course I tell them it's okay if you don't like everything that I present to you, but I'm sure you'll find something that really appeals. Um, he first, we saw him break through with batik, um, incredible. Like he didn't really know what to do. And so he created sort of a splatter on his first silk, uh, scarf that he was making and, you know, just playing with the janting tool and kind of whatever it took him 10 minutes. And then he was looking through, um, a sort of a batik, uh, textbook that I had and got inspired by this, uh, almost block print, um, kind of pattern where you, the artist had a, a stamp, like a, a square stamp, and was dipping it in wax and then printing those squares on the fabric before they dyed it. And I was like, I'm so glad you're into that, B, but I don't have I don't have any of those things. Well, he goes and like digs through the closet full of random stuff, finds uh, a piece of wood, takes an old saw that I happen to have, goes outside, saws it down, finds a screw, puts it into it, creates his own stamp, and then makes this scarf like in in that same whirlwind of energy that we saw him that was kind of misdirected at the beginning of the semester and um, and just put that energy into this scarf and created something amazing. And then all the other kids are like, ooh, I want to use your stamp. Totally did that on his own. He could have heard me say, oh, we don't have anything like that. And then like, oh, well, next idea or like I, or even worse, what I see at the beginning of the semester is like, oh, I can't do this, you know, mm. total giving up. So then for the end of the semester, he got really into candle making, uh, which isn't something that we that I teach as part of my class. But he ordered the materials online. He set himself up, set himself up to just like be in there when I was in there and keep asking me questions and really persevered and then set up this whole like candle making workshop in the back of the classroom and had it like roped off with ribbon and everything and just went above and beyond his goal, which was to make a candle. Um, he ended up making like 20 candles and, and gave me one, uh, with a thank you note that just meant the world to me. Um, so that is sort of like what what keeps me teaching, even though the pay is low and the hours are long and it's bizarre to try to find crafts teaching jobs. There's not many. Uh, you sort of have to, you know, go where the jobs are and um, students like that, you know, and I've had yeah. so many others. Mm -hmm. I have a, a student in Italy now. His family moved to Italy and he's um, texting me getting help for finishing uh, his sweater that he started a year ago when he was in my class, awesome. um, going to little yarn stores in his area of Italy and like demanding that the, that the ladies help him in his like intermediate Italian, you know, and they're telling him like, no, 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 you didn't buy the yarn here. And he was like, I'm a 15 year old American student. What do you want me to do? Please help me. You know, like uh, you know, it's just awesome. Aww. So yeah, that's why I love teaching crafts. Yeah. Nice. Um, Gosh, I'm hearing a theme of of sharing, and it, and it's interesting because I think one of the many reasons that I like to create art is to share. Now, you can right. share as a teacher where you're sharing ideas and maybe sharing your enthusiasm that they'll start their own projects and launch them on their own uh, from your mm -hmm. as example in your anecdote, right? right. Um, the candle-making business that just is going to yeah. hit us from San Francisco when that kid gets home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Or there's um, the, 
the sharing where you create something like you create a hat uh-huh. and then you are sharing it with the person you're gifting it to. Right. And and is there a connection there or or when you're making the hat, are you are you thinking about who you're giving it to or is it once you're done, okay, now I can decide who's who's going to get this gift? Hmm. I would say a little bit of both. There's definitely some product knitting in my life where I have, let's say, a commission or a trade or a a gift that I have in mind for someone that I'm making it for that person. Um, And so I'm, you know, we like to say, oh, I thought of you with every stitch. Let's think about like a knitted Uh item, you know, like I just I worked in and that's certainly been true. I definitely have some projects where I was like, oh, I'm knitting like all my crushy feelings into this or like all the respect I have for you or like, oh, I'm so grateful that you gave me this yarn and now I'm knitting something for you. That happens. But also, you know, sometimes I just want to be um, like a, a process maker and learn a technique or like try out a new motif. Um, and I don't know who it's going to get to, but it's always to share. Yeah, always, you know, like the finished items that I don't want to give away, uh, I bring in to classes and use as examples. Like here you can see how I did this. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely it's it's a for me, craft is completely dependent on our our interconnected web. And it's, mm-hmm. it's all about it's all about sharing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm interested, too. You said at one point with your anecdotal story, mm-hmm. this child had this energy that just mm-hmm. was misdirected and it could be directed towards something more positive. And, you know, all this mess going on in the world, you know, we, and we look for solutions and there, there's no mm-hmm. one solution, but I, I certainly for myself feel a lot of hope when I'm in the classroom and we're, we're working on projects together. Um, you know, it, there's a hope there and there's a, a direction that is up the hill and not down the yeah, hill, if you absolutely. will. Absolutely. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, you say um, that his his energy, you know, wasn't wasn't as you know positive, positively directed mm-hmm. at the beginning, and mm-hmm. um, I sort of, you know, I catch myself thinking about it, you know, behavior, students' behavior in certain ways, like oh, this is a a good behavior, a bad behavior, like a positive or negative, but really, what changed about his energy was that he his energy is now harmonious. He can have his same level of energy, but in a way that doesn't disturb or undermine the community around him. In Mm -hmm. fact, like works to make the community better. So, Mm -hmm. you know, creating, um, creating things, whether it's to make harmony between you and the person, or if you're just more harmonious because you're making, you know, (laughs) if it it chills you out or fires you up, whatever you need, um, that can change the world. Absolutely. Because, you know, you've seen people who just sort of go off the rails because they don't have, um, you know, a a harmonious channel for their energies. And with teenagers, especially, we see that a lot, you know, every day it's their choice whether or not to become, um, more, I just want, I don't want to overuse the word harmonious, but like, you know, more community minded people who really can go out there. Cause we're, you know, we keep our kids for a semester and then we send them back into the world, hopefully to start putting all these principles into practice and like the ways that they change here. Um, and so I know, you know, for this particular student, um, he now has another option for his energy. 
you know, and I, I hope he has a million options. I don't want to say crafting is better. And if you go out and like spray paint things or skateboard, like you're bad. No, man, there's a ton of great energy that's come from that. But yeah. like, he just, he has another option for identity now as a maker, mm. um, which I think, you know, can definitely, definitely help the world. Yeah. <laughs> she said vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> I think it can. I think it can. And it does. Um, so you work with so many mediums that, you know, I love the new cross stitch designs. Do you have a favorite <laughs> medium? Ooh, I love this question. And it's something that it's something that my students ask me a lot. Um, even my adult students, you know, like right now I'm talking about high school a lot because I have a full time job teaching at a high school. But when I lived in Brooklyn, um, I taught primarily adult classes. And then I had some private clients, um, one of whom was five years old. So I, I actually got to go to her apartment. I was hired by her mother and I would sit and knit um, with this five year old who was just fabulous, like incredible knitter. Um, and just so willing to get better. But anyway, the, yeah, everyone across the age group asks me like, well, what's your favorite? Um, and aside from trying to figure out the motivation for asking me that question, I don't know, you know, like, well, why do we have to have a favorite? But that's just my uh... you know, devil's advocate person. <laughs> I will say that if there was something, if I had to choose one to never, ever give up, you know, um, that it would absolutely be fiber arts. If I can spin and knit and weave and felt, you know, like the fiber, I can't lose it. I never want to lose it. Um, so that, that one has to stay, but I don't know if it's my favorite. I think my favorite is the thing I get to do the least often. Um, because there is this, you know, inherent risk, I guess, of like making your passion, your, your career, and everyone's like, oh, but you'll lose the passion for it. But not when you do 300 million different crafts. Um, so for me, I guess my favorite right now is glass because I never get to do it. I have a torch. Ooh. I do lamp work. I create handmade glass beads. Um, and I never get to do it because right now I don't have a place, a sanctioned place where I can set it up. I live in faculty housing. And, you know, not every landlord is into you having like a giant tank of propane and oxygen and working with a flame. Um, I don't know why. It's just as safe as having a gas stove. Literally, you know, it's like you light it yeah. and you and you unlight it. It's very safe. And you have it's a teeny tiny little thing. I'm working with beads, um, but also stained glass uh, is something that I'm you know, currently like just my fingers are all cut up right now because I'm trying to finish some holiday presents all in stained glass. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, okay, you'll I have to love... send me pictures. Oh, yeah. definitely. I love working with glass so much. I took a week-long stained glass class at the folk school, oh. and that was a new way for me to explore glass. But um, working on the torch has been a passion of mine since I was, you know, 20. Um, I'm really, really lucky to have uh, one of my favorite branches of the family tree in Penland, North Carolina. Okay. So I would always mm -hmm. go up for the Penland School of Crafts um, uh, community days. And one of the first things I did there as an early college student was sit down behind the torch and make a bead. And I was obsessed. It's like, I had never felt that kind of hunger before for like, it's just the color and the shininess that's so attractive. Yeah. And also the way that glass melts and it pulls into its own center of gravity. You know, if you just like slowly roll this mandrel in your hands in the flame, um, the glass around it will suck in and make mm. a perfect circle. If you don't do something silly, like hold it too far and, you know, too long in one place and have the glass drip down, but you can fix that. And it melts like honey, but you can touch it and it like indents and tinks kind of like 
like glass or just, it's amazing. So yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Sometimes that's usually how I answer the question. It's like, well, if there's like the bread and butter thing and then there's like the sexy, exciting thing. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a lot in between that. You know, I, I Mm -hmm. love, uh, carving and printing. I I like lino cuts and block printing and I'm starting to get into like wood, uh, wood cuts and, that's really fun, but I'm limited, Addie, by the fact that I really can't draw very well. Like I'm <laughs> very underused muscle there. I haven't learned a lot of basics of drawing, and so oh. that's sort of an essential part of the process. I'm great at lettering, but not at drawing. So, oh. well, um, you can always yeah. learn. It's one of those sure. things where it's a lot of nuts and bolts. <clears throat> you just have to work through the process. But gosh, I'm ex- obsessed with stained glass as well ever since um and I haven't even created any yet but the past year or so I I recently went to the Chicago Museum of Art Mm. and there they have the Chagall stained glass windows that are blue this is intense intense blue and this is the only piece of artwork I've ever seen where I I walked in and tears came to my eyes and I think it's the intensity of the color is just yeah. so illuminescent and light vibrant mm. and um so it's very exciting yeah and I'm gonna take a class this semester Good at Art you. Center Good. where yeah. there's this new form of stained glass where you can paint on the glass and I thought oh huh. that's for me <laughs> so, yes, for me that's like oh nah I don't want to do that <laughs> I want to cut it up into shapes and then piece it all together uh-huh. like a <laughs> okay. but I'm glad that you want to paint on the glass that's going to be awesome yeah 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 cool um okay oh you're gonna love it yeah yeah I know new obsessions are always good <laughs> New obsessions are always, always good. And then you can come back to your old obsessions. I ceased worrying that like, you know, oh, for example, this, this fall when I was like, oh my God, I'm so obsessed with cross stitch. Another night staying up until 1am charting out this design, uh, getting into things like red work and black work and like, you know, looking at up all these things. Oh no. What about my knitting? Like, am I not a knitter anymore? I don't waste time with that anymore. I'm like knitting will come back. It'll come back strong. Yeah. And my projects don't go bad. They will sit there and wait for me. Right. Um, yeah, and then I just busted out a, a, a stranded hat for a, a colleague um, just in like two days. Nice. So I'm like, yeah, see, it doesn't go away. Yeah, it's like riding a bicycle. And, and we go through phases. Um, sure. And, and I feel that the energy is the same for me if I'm creating music or, you know, mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s, I made a lot of quilts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't I do not do the quilts anymore at all. And music I only do if I have a performance <laughs> I know I need to practice more, but you know, so <laughs> we, but we go through these phases and that's one of the things I love. I mean, it's like the, the phases of the year. It's, it's just cyclical yeah. and we come back around to it and that's okay. Seasonality is sustainable. We know this. You can't produce the same thing over and over and over as I can't, I'm not set up for that kind of farming of my, mm-hmm. you know, my, my passion. So it has to change. Otherwise we'll get, we'll get totally burned out. Yeah. And we don't want that. So, yeah. Okay. Well, well getting that within, you know, just within the realm of, of knitting to keep going back to that. Cause it's what I'm doing physically right now. Um, that there, there's a million different things to do within the genre of knitting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even if you're like, yeah, I could knit for 10 years and not be bored. That is absolutely true because you can do so many different kinds of knitting and work with so many different materials and sizes of needles and create different things. And there's no reason to ever get bored. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I've tried knitting a couple times in my life and 
it's not my thing. And, and <laughs> th the reason I think it's not my thing is because I really have to pay a lot of attention. I mean, it, but are you at the uh -huh. point where you just don't, it, it's just intuitive. I mean, all the counting and, and making sure that rows are, you know, yes. all that kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. Those are the kind of skills that build up over time. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. you know, I'm knitting the thumb. Uh, I just picked up the, the live stitches held on waist yarn for a thumb gusset and I'm knitting it in two different colors. I'm created a stranded, creating a stranded thumb and shaping it right now while I talk to you on the phone. And it is like the, the smallest of deals. It is so not a big deal at all. Um, <laughs> Because all those, like, I understand it three-dimensionally in my head now, and my hands are so used to holding the needles and, this, and the yarn, it is no big deal. But when I teach brand-new knitters, no matter what age they are, they have to pay a lot of attention because your hands don't have eyes yet. You know, like, they can't create stitches on their own. But soon they will. You just have to keep going. And that's what I was working with um, – that five-year-old client on is being able to look up and away from her knitting because I don't want her to go through school with this whole, like, we only ever see the top of your head. We are absolutely able to knit and walk, knit and talk, you know, knit and mind a stove or whatever. Like you, throughout human history, we've seen uh, pictorial evidence of this, you know, women mostly, um, you know, knitting stockings on these long ass double pointed needles, you know, while doing other things. It's like, we didn't lose that. We're better multitaskers now, thanks to technology, I think, than ever before. Um, so I wanted her to learn how to knit without looking. And once you can knit without looking, you don't have to pay attention anymore. It's the perfect, like, I'm going to watch a TV show or talk with a friend or, you know, just like sit in the waiting room or hang out or ride the bus. Um, because it would really suck to have to pay close attention to something during all those in-between times. Um, I like getting people to the place where they can knit and, yeah, you know, okay. knit and do all the other things. Okay. So if you ever want some help on that, I can totally get you there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really lame to have to pay attention to it all the time. That's not fun. Um, yeah, and, I, and I've yeah. heard, Nick, you have some videos I have over 80 videos. Oh I'm gosh. so lucky. <laughs> when I was living in Brooklyn, um, before I got this current high school job, I was a full-time self-employed crafts teacher, and um, I was hired by HowCast. HowCast okay. is one of the top 20 YouTube partners, or at least they were at that time. I don't keep track of YouTube partners, but um, <laughs> they hired me to be their knitting expert, and I created a series of 40-something videos on knitting. They're all under five minutes long, and they're all free. Um, and they are just, uh, skill specific, like, okay, here's how to do a couple choices of ribbing. Here's how to close the toe of a sock. Here's how to knit magic loop. Um, in just like really short form digestible. So you can watch it over and over. And those first 40 were so successful that they called me back a year later to do a second series, um, just on circular knitting, which is my absolute passion and should be everybody's absolute passion. Um, and so yeah, floating around out there and they don't generate me any revenue at all. They have ads, but that all goes back to Howcast. It's just a way for me to share, and get the, the skills out there and sort of direct people back to me if they want more of me. Awesome. Um, and so, you know, I, I'll do Skype lessons and mostly I use it for current students to be like, Hey, when you go home, when I'm not your teacher anymore, after this workshop or after this school year, you can have me on your computer retelling you how to do this. Go look it up. It's there. So when I've got like my student from Italy text me like, yes, I forgot how to join to knit in the round on a sleeve. I'm like, sweetie, go to the videos. Yeah. I'll tell you. Please. That's that's <laughs> yeah. great. Great resource. It's awesome. And I'll get people contacting me like strangers. One of my favorites was a guy on a bus in China. Um, 
seriously, who sent me an email um, that was just like in in praise and in gratitude for uh, how clearly I taught whatever skill he was trying to, you know, like find a video for on this bus in China, clearly like a native English speaker living abroad. And um, that made me so happy because I've spent time on buses knitting in Southeast Asia. And like it just really he connected something for me. I was like, oh, yes, like previous life phase with current life phase. So great. (laughs) feels really intentional, right? When we look back on all our random career choices, oh. like it really looks streamlined when we look back on yeah. it. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it does. yeah so yeah. the videos are an awesome resource and they are free on my website until Howcast or YouTube doesn't exist anymore. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love them. I'm very like thin and fashionable in these videos. It's like New York Jess. Um, I tell my students that, you know, I'm like, so you know, I'm wearing makeup. I have a manicure. I'm like two sizes smaller than I am now. My hair is different, but it's still me, you know, <laughs> it's like still the same skills. <laughs> oh, awesome. So, yeah. so last summer, you traveled mm-hmm. all around the world. When I saw this yes. on Facebook, I was like, oh, damn, I'm so jealous. So, <laughs> and, and you were teaching and you were taking workshops from other people. I want to hear yep. about the trip and how you put the schedule together and how it went. Hey, yeah, I'd love to tell you about it. So um, singing, especially harmony singing, has uh, long, long, long been a passion of mine. I mean, my parents are musicians, both um, incredibly skilled vocalists and love to harmonize. And, you know, that's like a big part of my life. And um, my husband's family really runs uh, this amazing organization, a nonprofit out of Vermont called Village Harmony. Um, And I was lucky enough to get to take uh, a lot of workshops with them and and tour with them a couple years ago. And they do these incredible summer workshops every year. And they have some some school year stuff too. But as a teacher, of course, I can't uh, consider those. So summer is where it's at for me. And so I wanted to combine taking and teaching, uh, for my crazy summer of traveling. So I, uh, first I started at the folk school. I love teaching there and I taught their, um, little middle week, which is sort of the, um, junior high and high school week for, uh, for the folk school, which is usually just for adults. Um, and I taught knitting there and I had high school students and some like older elementary, early middle school students who were awesome. I did that for a week, um, and then stayed and took a class in silk, which was fantastic. We were spinning silk, making silk paper, learning how to like learn, learning Sarah culture, how to soak cocoons and stretch them, making muwatas and all these really cool silk things, doing some felting with silk. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Macedonia um, for the singing workshop. So I learned Macedonian um, folk songs and Balkan dancing there uh, oh. from uh, local experts. One thing that Village Harmony does really, really well is to make sure that they are um, promoting and paying uh, these uh, local experts. So there's not, um, you're not really worried about uh, cultural misappropriation. Because uh, I was learning from, you know, like like just the superheroes of of Macedonian folk music and taking lessons in Macedonian and um, doing this awesome, you know, like Balkan dancing out on a, a old tennis court every morning and. Um, singing harmonies with all these people who have the same passion as me for, for singing together. And it was so fun. And then after that, I went to uh, Bulgaria and Greece just to kind of tour around and, and look at things there. And I met some wonderful artists while I was in Greece and mm. just made 
some like really sweet connections, but I'll be honest, I spent a long time just like eating seafood and laying in the sun too, because it's summer vacation. Um, (laughs) so that was great. And then I went, um, I went to New York and, um, Boston. I went to Eastern Massachusetts, um, to revisit some old, uh, stomping grounds and, and see some friends. And I took another week long singing and dance workshop out there at Mm. Pinewoods camp which is a, a CDSS country dance and song society, um, mm-hmm. summer camp that is for, uh, adults. So I got to be an adult camper and again, sing harmonies and dance all day long for a week. Um, and then my last stop was Denver, Colorado to visit my amazing friend, Sarah Freeze, who is, um, the, uh, brains behind the craft caravan, which mm-hmm. if you haven't heard of is an awesome idea. Sarah works with, um, at risk populations and underprivileged, uh, populations populations um, surrounding the Denver area. And she was working for like, I think she's working for the Boys and Girls Club, but she's a fantastic teacher and artist, uh, a craftsperson who feels really similarly. She's off to a UU. Um, so that's, you know, a connection that, that okay. you and I have in common. Okay. Um, and a phenomenal human being who's doing a lot of important work with, um, you know, just like uh, uh, gender equality and LGBT rights. Um, so Sarah is, uh, she bought this, um, 1970s camper and is creating the craft caravan where she will go out to these areas who can't make it to downtown Denver and afford, you know, she used to work at, um, fancy tiger, which is a place that we visited together and did some sewing while I was out there. And it's amazing, but definitely for, um, a more privileged part of the population that can pay, you know, to get these Mm -hmm. fabulous materials. So Sarah is going to go out to, um, sort of the surrounding areas and bring materials and workshops and classes and kits out there. And uh, her goal is to make that affordable and accessible to everyone. Uh, I'm so proud of her. So my, my week with her in Denver, just like brainstorming and and having these kind of conversations um, was so powerful. And just, she has a beautiful, beautiful life. um, And, you know, got to spend some time uh, just sort of peeking into a different way to be a craft teacher. Wow. yeah. Yeah. And so and yeah. she has an actual big caravan and it's, it's full of caravan. <laughs> it's full of craft materials. She's filling it right now. She actually has a Kickstarter going on right oh. now until January 16th. So I don't know when this podcast is going to air, but okay. I'd like to, um, you know, give it to her too, so she can share it. Um, I just watched her Kickstarter video this morning was like, Oh my God, she's doing it. She's doing it. Like she's living this dream and it's going to affect so many people. And like, it, she is the right person to be doing this. You know, awesome. I don't know if I have enough bravery to do that, that kind of thing, um, right now, but, uh, yeah, she's incredible. And I know that everyone she meets, like the, the girls that she worked with, um, in Denver last year are just, you know, so lucky to be with her and she's working on her bilingualality and, uh, you know, has lived abroad and it's just really, you know, like she shares, she shares the belief, um, that this should be accessible and shareable and is important and can give people so much power, so much identity and so many life skills to take back the handmade revolution away from gentrification and more towards like, we all can do this. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Wow. And, yeah. and say again, the, if you want to hunt online, you said it's the craft caravan, the craft caravan. Yeah. She's she's on Instagram at craft underscore caravan. She has a Facebook page now and you can just search Kickstarter for craft caravan and meet Sarah through her little video of what she wants to do. Um, 
I don't think she sold herself as strongly as she could have. That's a note for you, Sarah. Um, <laughs> but I guess, you know, it's hard. I've done a Kickstarter campaign and you don't want to be like, give me money because this is really important. You know, you have to sort of be like, and here's what's in it for you. But what's really in it is for the, the populations that she'll be able to meet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, sometimes yeah, it's easier for our friends to promote us. And, and, I think so. you know, and say I, it with enthusiasm yeah. and then, yeah. you know, if we say, this is my project, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's good, you know, but to get yeah. an endorsement from other people <laughs> who can see the big vision, I think is very valuable. Yeah. Do you yeah. hear that friend? We have to keep promoting each other's work if we believe in it. That's right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It's just incredible. Like how many people I've connected with through being, a craftsperson, mm-hmm. you know, there's just so many different ways to do it. So many different ways to identify so many different ways to set up your life. Um, and I really, I really like that mine is teacher of many disciplines within the craft world that fits for me. Um, but I'm also really inspired by people who are focusing on one area and, and doing it really well. Um, that's inspiring too. Like sometimes I'm jealous. I'm like, Oh, I want to be thought of as the fill in the blank lady, you know, just like the go-to. And for a lot of people, I am that for knitting, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't take long until, you know, I I break that illusion. I'm like, okay, great. So let's go do this other thing now too. Or like, you know, it it relates to this. And I never want to have to hide that part of myself, sort of like the, um, you know, poly craft kind of like multi-craft. Yeah. 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 I'm the same way. Cause I do performance art storytelling and I do Uh music and I do painting and even within painting there's all these different styles where you know I'll have have friends who do mostly landscape and they're like are you one of us or are you you know Mm -hmm. we want to put you in a category but I don't I don't really limit myself to one or the other and but it's fine to focus because if you focus then you can get really good at something absolutely and so I see benefits to both but you know we got to wiggle and we got to (laughs) move Some of us need to wiggle. Yeah. Some of, some of us need to just dig down deep and put down roots in one discipline forever. Yeah. You know, or one place. You know, I'm just I'm I'm like that in my life. I like to I like to have strong roots from which I am free to explore. Yeah. Yeah. So so bringing it back to your trip, so you did it end in Colorado? Was that the um, end of the trip? Well, my snarky side wants to be like, no, I came back. <laughs> um, yeah, the Colorado portion was the last leg. And okay. I'll tell you, by then I was so, I, I'll say homesick, but like just ready to be back in my space. I'm a nester. Okay. And part of the reason for that trip was that I was in between faculty houses and didn't have summer housing and just wanted to get back so I could like paint the walls and move in and have my bed be in one spot. And like, I was sick of living out of a duffel bag, even though I was seeing some really incredible places and, um, just getting to meet some really incredible people and doing lots of great song and dance and teaching. But I wanted to be home. (laughs) So it ended in August. I traveled mid May through mid August and now I don't want to go anywhere. My parents (laughs) visited me for Thanksgiving and I'm going home for two days for Christmas. And like, that is it. I'm staying put until I feel the urge again. Awesome. And we'll bake some cookies. It'll be great. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Cool. So what do you say most often to your students? Um, persevere. I think, you know, you'll get it just breathe, step away from it for a second, come back. It's okay. Like I try to take the pressure off of like, you need to do all of it right now and get really good. That's not how I function. That's not how I learn things. You know, like they, when they are free, 
well, first of all, my high school that I teach at is, is experiential education, um, like a dedicated to experiential ed, which means I'm not going to give you the answers. I'm going to encourage you to find the answers. I'm going to ask more questions that I have and together we'll, you know, we'll experience, we'll live the questions as Rilke says. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I teach everyone how to knit at the beginning of the semester. And if they don't knit again for the rest of the semester, that's okay. Um, I encourage them to donate their needles back if they really think it's something they're not going to do. But, um, you know, if they text me a year later saying, hey, okay, so I have this hat I want to knit, then it's a success. Um, if they knit all semester long and are obsessed with it, it's a success. Like it's equal success, whether or not they're super into it or not. Um, and so when I'm, when I'm teaching these skills, I first I frame it with a like, let's talk about frustration, because when you were a little kid, you didn't know how to tie your shoes. You didn't know how to put on your pants. You didn't know how to get the fork to your mouth with food on it. If you hadn't persevered on those things, imagine what your life would be like right now. Like we'd been we'd be feeding you and you'd be dressed in Velcro like you persevered and you can persevere through this, too. You just don't have to in your life very often right now because you're the master of your manual life. You know, you're all really lucky to have full usage and like experience of your digits. And right now I'm going to ask your hands to learn something brand new and you will be so frustrated at first because you won't get it. And like how many of us like to be really good at something the first time? Oh, yeah. Like all of us. I hate being bad at something that I really want to do, but you don't get there unless you persevere. So if you need to take a day's break from it. Cool. If you need to take a month break, but just promise me that you're going to come back to it. And those of you who are in my class, you have to persevere for at least three weeks before we move to the next unit. So haha, but really <laughs> the best one at it. And they are, um, like I got feedback from a student who basically ignored knitting her whole semester and then got really into it the last week. And what she wrote on her feedback form was, I wish we had had more time for knitting. I'm like, girl, it was there for you. <laughs> You just didn't use it. And that's okay because you were carving spoons all semester. That's equally as great. Um, so I think, yeah, honestly, the thing I say the most is like, just breathe. It'll be okay. You'll get, you're getting better at it. You just have to get through the beginning phase, the awkward yeah. phase, Yeah. you know, like the like, ugly get duckling all phase out. Yeah. We don't want polished swans. We want transformational ugly ducklings. Yeah. yeah. And, and I yeah. work with both elementary age kids and Adults and many of the adults I work with are retirement age. Yeah. <clears throat> and do they get frustrated sooner? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, now, they, yeah. Some of them will want to quit after the first class because they haven't made yep. a masterpiece yet. And, I'll yeah, tell you. Know, you and then the I have to tell them it takes. I've ever had. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It takes a long time to build up these skills, and they and like you're saying, they aren't used to not being a master of something. Hmm. And, yeah, but that's part of the fun is that to, <laughs> is to take your time and to learn it. And it's, it's and there's fun this challenge. Frame it as something fun. Yeah. If you're like, I have to get this, then it's going to suck. Yeah. You know, you're just going to be mad at yourself when yeah. you're going to quit. But the only students I've ever had who walked into my classroom and said, I can't do this. were the old students. I'm talking to you older ladies (laughs) yourselves and you're you're teaching us bad skills like you know I'm in my mid-30s when I'm in my mid-70s I want to walk into a class and be like I don't know what I'm doing yet isn't that great instead of like I'm not going to be able to get this you know yeah oh what self-limiting language to use and so yeah I know I know it yeah one of the things I've started doing with the classes for adults that are painting classes I will show them an early Van Gogh Mm-hmm. And a late Van Gogh. 
and I'll show them, you know, and several different, yeah. different people throughout history. And then I'll show them one of my first pieces from high school. That's important. And then I'll show them yeah. a piece now. And it's one of the first things I do. And I think it really helps to give them some, some perspective and understand that, you know, it takes years of work, even if Absolutely. you are, a, you know, quote unquote master, you know, uh -huh. we, we put the label of geniuses on these people. And we say, Oh, they can like they, do it, but I couldn't, you know, because they have right. some magical. Because they have fairy something dust. magical. Like, mm -hmm. No, they, yeah, glue your hand to the brush and work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and that's one of the things I like about so much of the work that you're doing is this is th these are art forms that have developed out of need and out yeah. of um you know, many, many generations of people working on them. And so it's, it's like a pebble that's been smoothed in the stream. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. And it's cool to reinvent the wheel too. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was teaching duplicate stitch to some uh, students who wanted to knit a plain stockinette hat, like just a plain flat hat, and then put their names into it or something. And you know, they didn't feel ready to learn stranded knitting where you could work it in in a pattern, you know, like like a fair isle kind of thing. They just wanted to slap some initials on there or the name of a team afterwards. And so I was teaching them duplicate stitch. So you can do that. Come in on a finished product and do it. But this one kid, um, an awesome male child, wanted to do mountains. And I was like, ooh, okay, well, here's how you do diagonal lines and I explained it to him but he didn't like the broken up look because it's kind of pixelated you have to go up mm -hmm. one stitch and over one stitch and up one stitch you know like a like an old um video game kind of <laughs> he didn't like that so he invented a duplicate stitch that goes diagonally up the fabric Whoa. nothing that I ever could have come up with and he was like oh yeah I totally didn't do it right and I was like dude, you invented something brand new. This is so cool. Wow. And I am going to call him when I need to do that. Like when I, I if I ever want to figure it out and be like, so tell me again, the path that the yarn takes through these, through like the stitch and a half as you go up to the right. That's really cool. Wow. Um, so yeah, there are right ways to do it. And it is like an ancient, you know, there are these ancient ways of, of like making a basket or, you know, creating a print, but who's to say they're not going to come up with the next great way to do it. Yeah. Right on, yeah. right on. Cool. So, And I do show them my early work, too. <laughs> or I just tell them about the disasters, you know. <laughs> or like, And I, if I had quit right there, I would have thought my whole life, oh, I really suck at crochet. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But do you have to write your own story? <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. Invent yourself out of it. I, oh man, like a semester ago, I had a sweet, uh, sweet student who just had like the worst attitude about herself ever. Just, everything mm. was like, I'm a failure. I'll never be good at this. Everyone knows I suck. Uh, this is a disaster. Um, and I really, the strongest work I did with her in crafts class was to be like, stop that. <laughs> yeah make whatever you want to make. It can look like whatever it's going to look like. You're a beginner, but you have to stop telling yourself these awful things mm -hmm. about yourself. Um, and I think that we can address that through this class, through craft class. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. Mm. So what advice would you give to your younger self as in you? <laughs> oh gosh. In the realm of, of making and art? Anything. Yeah. <laughs> anything. Whatever yeah, comes to mind. The biggest advice that I could give for myself is like, get some help for your disordered eating already. It's going to take up all of your life. You know, like I oh. think that there's so much put on pause. Yeah. Sorry to get like crazy deep, but like, um, it, 
yeah, like so much of, of my passion could have been, I think I could be, I don't know, even greater than I am now. That's probably a fallacy, but I just wasted so much time being stuck in, um, not feeling enough or feeling too much because of food and body image issues. Hmm. Um, and I, I really do look at that as like a, a misfortune of my life because I didn't believe in myself. I believe that I was great at all these other things, but inherently not, not okay yet because of those, those aspects oh. of my life. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, you know, just like being a young person, hmm. it's even more important that we, you know, uh, out those thoughts and get some help for them. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they really do shape the way that you think about yourself. Um, and you know, so much of my potential I think was, uh, filled with fear because I wasn't, you know, for me, it was like, wasn't thin yet. Or for some young women, it's like, because I'm not curvy enough or for some, you know, like men or like, you know, like trans male students who like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't look the way I'm supposed to look yet. And those things, can just make us spin out and stall in all the other things that we could be doing with our, you know, with our gifts. Mm -hmm. So my biggest advice to myself would be like, speak up, get some help really early. Yeah. Don't wait. Don't wait. Yeah. Um, Wow. But I think my advice for myself as an artist is like, you're doing the right thing by being a total hoarder of materials. Don't let anyone shame you about how much yarn you have, about how many papers you have, about how many, like, I'm not a painter, but do I still have paint? Yep. Um, it's okay to have jewelry supplies that I don't look at for five years because they're there when I need them. And that's where my value is. Like, I don't have a lot of shoes. And that's something that's more culturally appropriate for like a woman my age to be like, oh yeah, I have so many shoes. Haha. I'm like, no, I have like five pairs of shoes, um, not including my contradant shoes. And then I have rooms of craft materials. Mm-hmm. That is okay. And that is awesome. Um, so yeah, my advice for myself early on would be like, just own it, <laughs> own it and stop giving stuff away that you are, because you're ashamed at how much stuff you have like, wow. or do get rid of the stuff that doesn't serve you anymore, but don't be afraid to get more stuff. Right. And one of the things that's so amazing about this is that, you know, I see you, you know, we all have our own ideas of beauty, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think of you as a very beautiful person, both (laughs) both physically and spiritually. Thank you. Thank you. But those fears plague even the most beautiful people. And it's totally and um, it's just heart wrenching. Beautiful in whatever way, you know, like my most beautifully organized friends still like, you know, you just have to peek behind the veil and and to know like what other people, especially what other women really think of themselves. No one totally, totally has it together all the time, but hopefully we're growing towards believing that we are doing the best we can. And that's good enough for today. Yeah. 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 And one of the reasons I have this question in is because, you know, what advice would you give to your younger artist self? Mm -hmm. is, you know, it can be different than what advice would you give to the student that is different from you. you right. know, we, but but right. sometimes there's overlap. Um, and sometimes it's easier to give advice to somebody else or it's easier to see, okay, yes, you know, just yeah. let me give you a shake. Don't be afraid of stuff. Just dive in. <laughs> advice is so hard mm-hmm. because I was just thinking, like, what if I had advised myself to just go ahead and do the art major in high school so that I could get the crafts, you know, and just, it's okay to have those foundational skills, Mm -hmm. suffer through it and then go get your BFA in like, you know, fiber art. Like what if I had taken that turn? Mm -hmm. Who knows if right now I'd be quitting to go teach theater. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, I don't want to think of it as a missed opportunity because I didn't, I didn't start doing this professionally right out of the gates as a 22 year old, you know, who cares? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. My other piece of advice to my younger self, though not quite as young, would be, are you sure you want to pay for a degree for the rest of your life? Like maybe <laughs> there's some way someone could pay you to go to school, mm-hmm. but I took out loans and that is forever. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I know somebody asked me recently, if you had you know, all the money in the world, what would uh-huh. you do? And I was like, well, I would just pay go, off my debt. Well, <laughs> that, and I would just be in school all the time. Cause it's totally. <laughs> See James Franco. (laughs) (laughs) But it can be cool school. It can be like the folk school, you know. Oh, my goodness. How amazing would that be Mm -hmm. just to go to like the John C. Campbell folk school for a year and then go to Aramont for a year and then go Mm -hmm. to, you know, like all the other. I can only think of southern ones right now. But, oh, man, um, there are so many places I would go just to make and learn forever. Mm. Yeah, I've yeah. been to the John C. Kimball Folk School. I love it. I took a Great. music class there. Um, is that what where kind you of took the, you the stained glass? Is that was that yep. the folk school? Yeah, I had the honor of using the folk school as part of my master's practicum. So oh. I was already going down and, and taking classes that I was saving up for and writing for scholarships. But then I got to be a student host, which at that point was the a six-month position. Yeah. It's now a four-month position. But I got a free class every week for six months. Oh, my gosh. Um, it was the highlight of my life. Oh, I'm not even oh, I hate you. Uh, <laughs> amazing. It was so, 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 so good. And I was getting credit for my master's degree and just being like, yes, I'm earning my master's in craft education and I'm here at the folk school living here. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my goodness, I would do it again. I was like, you should make this a five-year position. I would totally do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a special yeah. place. It's a special place. <clears throat> it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd really like to make Brasstown um a for real part of my life someday. Yeah. Yeah. Dreams. We'll keep dreaming. Dreams, mm. dreams, dreams, dreams. Yeah. And I still have, you know, my great aunt is in Penland still. Um, and that's another dream, you know, is to go, but I think of Penland as like for much more serious artisans than myself, um, <laughs> which maybe is doing myself a disservice or limiting what Penland can be in someone's life. Uh, uh-huh. and, or maybe I deserve a studio. You know, maybe I should start thinking about it that way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Things <laughs> yeah. to think about. Well, I've, I've almost finished the thumb of this mitten. This has been a very productive conversation. <laughs> Do you measure your life or how much time has passed by how much dating has happened? You, you know, that's how I measure my sedentary periods. Okay. I honestly am in a place where like my hand-eye coordination and my skill set is, is firmly in the mastery phase, I need to get up and like start walking on the trails, you know, mm-hmm. like this, uh, I, I gave up swimming laps this morning so that I could organize my house. Like those are the kind of choices I'm making right now. So right now I'm measuring my time and like, all right, how many hours am I going to like sit here working on my stained glass piece or like, do I really need to warp the loom again? Perhaps I should go climb a mountain and get my heart rate up. <laughs> yeah. Cause where you live, you can. That's awesome. Oh, I can. Yeah, it's right out the front door. Yeah. Mm, mm. I've got private trails I can walk on all day, oh every day. And instead I knit and I <laughs> cross stitch and I work on stained glass and I weave and I organize things. Yeah. So, well, we do yeah. what, what we love. Exactly. Yeah. So I have only one more question for you. Okay. And that is what is your favorite art book or story? Ooh, goodness. My favorite art book or story. Um, right now, I think that it is, um, wait, let me make sure I make the right choice. Okay. So there's this book, um, a symphony for the sheep. 
(laughs) And it's illustrated by Mary Azarian, who is probably my favorite um, printmaker. She is a a lino print, uh, lino, like a block carving person living in Vermont and just like so influential. Her style is so influential on me. She um, does a lot of the the motifs and the illustrations for uh, um, just a lot of books that have been published in Vermont. Um, the, the, she's really got the look that I love. And so she illustrated this book called A Symphony for the Sheep, which is um, uh, about fiber production in the British Isles. And it takes you through the whole process of shearing and washing and combing and carding and spinning and dyeing and knitting and weaving. Um, but it's, it's written in, um, it's written to go along with a melody. It's a song. The, the, the story is a song and I read it to my students every semester and I just stare at the pictures and the way that Mary Azarian combines print, like the, the block cutting with fiber arts is something that I will never get tired of geeking out about. Like she'll have a full page carving of like the close up of two, like an old woman's hands knitting the, the thumb gusset of a mitten. And you can see like the cabled stitches and like, she just knows like where the pearls go and where the knits go and like, you know, how everything stretches. It's beautiful. It reminds me of, um, Jan. Oh, I can't remember this author's last name, but, um, the mitten, the story okay. of the mitten Oh, about the animals crowding into the, uh, yes, that's <laughs> the an old folk tale. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's, um, there's an illustrated one where I also just love the prints and, um, all the, the fiber arts hanging in the background, like oh, the, the yeah, grandma. It's Jan Brett, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, those are my, my favorites right now because it's the, it's the story of something that I love illustrated in a way that shows that the illustrator also loves this thing and mm-hmm. just very meta, super satisfying. <laughs> Highly recommended cheapo books. You can buy them on, on Amazon or your local place for not very much because they're small and every, every page is worth framing. Oh, oh, that's yeah. how we know it's a good book. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's crafty. It's crafty arty. Yes, <laughs> I like it. Good. Very functional. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for uh, sharing your story on the show. And um, thanks for letting me wisdom. talk about myself so much. It's really nice, especially here at the end of the semester to like clarify for myself who I am and what I do. So I can start again next semester with a new group of students. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And now the true story of William Morris and the arts and crafts movement. In England during the 1860s, William Morris and his fellow artists started a revolution that is now known as the arts and crafts movement. Before that time, fine art was work that could be put on a pedestal, work that was for viewing only. By definition, Art was not a part of everyday life, but for the prestigious enjoyment of the wealthy. New machines were mass-producing more and more household items. Cups, silverware, and fabrics were being created by machines in what Morris and his friends thought were boring, bland designs. And Morris decided that he wanted everything in his house to be both useful and beautiful. He campaigned for the arts to include pottery, furniture, and household items. He became a successful fabric and wallpaper designer using patterns inspired by nature. He believed that art is not for the few, 
any more than education is for the few or freedom for the few. That's a quote. <laughs> he wanted every person, rich or poor, to be surrounded by the beauty of nature and in turn the beauty of art. And I can't express to you how influential his ideas were. Um, the art center where I work today has studios for pottery and blacksmithing and woodworking and painting and photography. It wouldn't look the way it does if it weren't for this movement. This is a true story. If you want to learn more, I recommend reading The Beauty of Life, William Morris and the Art of Design, edited by Diane Wagner. It's one of my many dreams to tour the Morris home. It's called the Red House. It's in London. I feel the most important lesson to be learned from William Morris's life work is that we have the power to bring beauty into our lives in whatever way we choose. If there's an ugly alleyway, you can make it a garden. If there's a plain whitewashed wall in your children's school, you can make it a mural. And as Rumi said, in the garden, there are no distinctions. There's no distinction between art on the wall or the hand-thrown mug you are drinking from. It's all from the same source. The materials used to make art are not as important as the value it brings to our lives. So this story, the story of William Morris, and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art, Stories for the Classroom. If you love this podcast and you want to see it continue, support us by going to my website, azirfineart.com, to make a donation on the podcast page. Thanks, everyone. May the stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.